Education begins at home. This is where the educational process should begin, in the home. And primarily that educational process is the responsibility of the home. It is only in modern times that, you know, we are now taking children out of the home and putting them in schools at such young ages. Yes, earlier generations, people did come out, listen to the first to set up universities, etc. But this was later on in life, not the early years. Not the early years. The early years, it was the home in which they learned. From the mother, from the father, from the uncle, from the family members, they taught that those young children. The famous uh, scholar Sufyan Thawri, he had narrated that when he went out at the age of 13, he went out to seek knowledge, left the home. Up until the age of 13, he studied in his home. His mother was teaching him. And she told him, mother and father, but she told him when he was setting out, son, if you write ten sentences, you're recording knowledge, you've gone into classes and you're learning. If you're recording knowledge, you've recorded ten words or ten sentences. And your faith has not increased, then you must check yourself. You must check yourself about your intentions. She gave that wisdom to her son. Education begins in the home. It should be with the Quran. It should be knowledge of Allah. Because of course, first of all, it's knowledge of Allah. The first words that the child should be able to say should be Allah. We should encourage them to make this among their first words. 
So initially in the home, we should give them as much Islamic knowledge as we can. Oftentimes, their level of knowledge will be limited by us. We are the ones who will limit their education. We feel they're too young, they can't understand this, and so forth. You'll be surprised at what children are able to understand. So, as parents, if we want to do it effectively, then we should take advice, because most of, most of us are not coming from traditions of learning, etc. So, parenthood is an experiment. We have children and we experiment with them. We don't really have clear knowledge and guidance as to what we should do, what we shouldn't do. This we can take from those who have studied early childhood education, developing a system, how to educate our children in the home properly. So we educate them on one hand to the deen, to know Allah, to be able to relate everything back to Allah. They grew up with that consciousness of Allah. This is most important. At the same time, these children can also be taught reading, writing, arithmetic in the home on a simple scale. We don't necessarily need to make it in a classroom format, but we can teach them these things too. We don't have to say it's either this or that. We want to teach them the diniyat, the religious things, then later on after they learn all of it, then they'll start. No, no. These things can be done together. So, we take advice, we take guidance. What many of us need are parenting classes. You know, we need to have parenting classes to help us to be good parents. So, if we are able to introduce such programs in our masjids, in our Islamic centers, etc., to help parents gain the necessary skills to effectively raise Muslim children, then, alhamdulillah, we can begin to make a real difference. Uh, as you know, the Islamic state of Abbasid is when the fans and the Islamic knowledge has flourished. Do we have a clear view of how was the system of education <coughs> at that time? Okay, brother's question, knowing that the flourishing of Islamic and what we may call secular academic knowledge took place, reached its peak during the early Abbasid era. Do we have any clear knowledge as to the educational systems that existed at that time? Yes, we do. It's been recorded. Research works have been done on educational systems during the time of the Abbasids, during the time of the Umayyads, time of the Ottomans, etc. Research, etc. has been done. So that information is available. But of course, to some degree, we have 
technological developments which weren't around at that time, which facilitate a lot of things which they couldn't do then. So it doesn't mean we have to go back and do things exactly the same way they did it. They evolved and developed their system based on the technology which was available to them at that time. Some of the uh, principles of education we can take from them, benefit from their uh, efforts, but at the same time we have things in our hands which are not available then, computers, you know, computer programs which can enhance the learning experience, etc., which they didn't have. We can utilize these things. So, when we're going to tackle it, we benefit from what happened in the past, but we also benefit from the knowledge which has been gathered in the present, which uh, can enable us to effectively uh, educate our children. Okay. Uh, I would like you to give us as parents, most of the youth <coughs> believe that by taking Islamic education, we have no careers. So, if we are going to give priority to Islamic education, the concept that there is no career is a misconcept. My brother's suggestion to, to me to clarify and give some advice with regards to seeking Islamic knowledge to, for our youth to be engaged in this particular line that the general impression is that one who decides to become a scholar, a Muslim scholar, he has no future. So if our child suggests this, we would discourage them. And only those who have been failures academically will say, okay, nothing else to do, you may as well go. <laughs> but of course, this is the mistake of the parents, that this is their approach. On one hand. On the other hand, if our children are raised properly, respecting Islamic knowledge, knowing who were the heroes of Islam. If you ask most kids, who is Batman, or Superman, or Spider-Man, they can give you all about these people. But if you ask them, who is Al-Layth ibn Sa'ad? They say, what? No idea who was a lazy beside. So, this is our fault. We have allowed them to grow up mastering knowledge of confusion. <laughs> you know, they are well versed in confusion. We have not raised them with proper knowledge of the true rights of Islam. Abu Hanifa, Imam Malik, Shafi'i, their contemporaries, they should know who these people are. These names should ring a bell in their ears. They respect these people for the efforts that they made for the Ummah. And if they grow up with that respect, then you won't have to convince them there is a future in studying 
the deen, but because they didn't grow up with that, then it becomes a problem. And parents don't see any future in religious education. Now, uh, there's a question here. Is <coughs> asking, Chef, can you please assist the Islamic teachers with an, with an Islamic syllabus for primary, secondary, and college? Shukran. Uh, this, of course, is entering into specifics. Islamic studies syllabi have been worked on by a number of educational groups. There is a syllabi, set of syllabi which is already prepared. Dar es Salaam has produced a series of books from first standard up to eighth, ninth standard. Uh, personally, myself, I wrote four books for higher uh, high school because I taught Islamic studies in high school for 10 years in Riyadh. So I wrote four books, they're called Islamic Studies Series, they're being used in many schools around the world. Um, recently, a, an institute has been set up in Riyadh and they are in the process of producing um, Islamic texts. They've done uh, the first three grades, they've been published, they've worked out the details for the rest, and theirs is perhaps the most detailed syllabi. But this information is available. Uh, the problem is not so much with the syllabi. Syllabi is an element of the problem, but the other subjects that are being taught in the school. This is where the biggest problem lies. If we are to think that an Islamic school is one which has Islamic studies on the curriculum, Arabic and Quran, and three quarters of the curriculum, or seven eighths of the curriculum, are the secular academic subjects, then actually we have not achieved Islamic education. That is really not an Islamic educational institution. That is an institution which is perpetuating the Christian view of education, which is based on the well-known statement Leave unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and unto God what is God's. You separate religious education from secular education and secular life. And that is a perpetuation of this schizophrenic view of education. The Islamic view is that Every subject which is taught in the Islamic institution should be taught from an Islamic perspective. Mathematics, history, science, geography, every subject should be taught from an Islamic perspective. Now some teachers 
math teachers will be the first to jump up and say, but how do you Islamize mathematics? How do you Islamize 2 plus 2 equals 4? Where does religion come in there? They say, okay, you have to teach 2 plus 2 equals 4. So we say to the students, in the morning for Salatul Fajr, you have to pray two rak'at of Sunnah. And then two rak'at of Fard. So what is the total number of rak'at that you have to pray? Four rak'at. It's possible. It's possible. There's a lot that we can do. It doesn't change the essential elements of the academics. We still teach it. But we keep the child's mind connected with Islam. They don't come through the system thinking that Islam is one thing and then academic secular knowledge is something else. No. It was all taught to Adam. Everything. All knowledge, which is true and real knowledge, is from Allah. There is knowledge which we call revealed knowledge, revelation, the Quran and the Sunnah. And the other knowledge we can call it acquired knowledge. We have acquired it through experimentation, through research, through study, etc. It's acquired. But where did it come from? We didn't create it. It still came from Allah. And when you look at the greatest experiment, the greatest uh, developments, inventions in the history of human technology, for example, the X-ray which is essential in modern medicine now, you x-ray. How was that discovered? Did Madame Curie began, begin, she is Madame Curie, the one who discovered it, did she begin looking for x-rays? No. She had some radium in the corner of her lab. She had some uh, photographic uh, paper hanging and her hand happened to pass between the radium and the photographic film, and she saw the bones of her hand in the film. So, she was researching something else altogether. And she found that. And when you go to look at the great inventions, most of it is that way. All the way back to the classical story that's not really actually factually established of Newton, the apple falling and bunking him on the head and he started to think about gravity. You know all the stories, right? Some of them are just terrible. Some of them, many of them are very real. The majority of the great inventions happen by accident. That's what they call it. We say, Allah revealed it to them. To benefit humankind at the time when he saw suitable. So, that is how our children should grow up understanding knowledge. That it is all from Allah. What is true, real knowledge, it is from Allah. There is an interesting question here in that story. If you have a 
can only be gained from this non-Muslim. So we go there to get that knowledge, that much, to the degree necessary. But just to say, throw the kids in the school, sink or swim, no. No, this is wrong. Our brother's first comment, which I will have to comment on, <laughs> that in his opinion, we put our children in any school, it doesn't matter what school we put them in, um, they will get education, and if the education is good, they will be uh, able to make the right decisions uh, for themselves. Uh, depending, of course, on home, support, etc., Islamically. My opinion, as I expressed before, when you're dealing with children, it's one thing you're talking about adults. You've got an adult, somebody has gone through a process, educated, they've understood who they are as a Muslim, what their mission in life is, they've understood Islam. They know. And you put them in a non-Muslim environment of education, higher education, they can sit in that class with that professor and he is firing his ideas and they can resist it because they have been raised and trained and they understand. These are adults. Their minds are developed. Inshallah, they're capable of dealing with that. But when you're dealing with children, you've got another situation altogether. To compare them with adults, I would say, sir, that no serious educationalist would agree with you. Because education is defined in the general sense as the transmission of culture. It is the transmission primarily of culture from one generation to the next. So if you put your children in the hands of educationists who have another culture, 
a culture based on many principles which are against our principles of Islam, then what can you expect for these children? What can you expect for these children? So I disagree, I beg to disagree, and I would argue, and I would even get the support of non-Muslim educationists to support what I'm saying. In fact, in the West now, the rise in homeschooling is phenomenal. So many students, non-Muslims, are pulling their children out of the school system, the Western education system, because of what is happening to them there. This is non-Muslims trying to save their children. And they've developed a huge network of homeschooling with, uh, you know, accreditation of their studies. And this. if you want to teach your child at home now, they have complete syllabi, worked out, details, everything for you. Why? Because that system has failed. It has failed from one perspective or another perspective. As to the question, which I want to raise, about Saudi Arabia. And you know what? The issues of Saudi Arabia in the end, we can do nothing about. If Saudi Arabia failed, that is Saudi Arabia and their responsibilities. Allah will not ask us about why Saudi Arabia failed in the issues that you raise. He will ask us about why Kenya, Kenyan Muslims, Nairobi Muslims failed. This is the question. And this is where we should keep the focus. Don't get distracted. The educational system, we don't judge Islam by what happens in Saudi Arabia. You know, people say to me, I take the position that smoking is haram. But no, we can buy cigarettes in the Kaaba. The fact that cigarettes may be sold in Saudi Arabia around the Kaaba, this is not telling us halal and haram. We don't judge halal and haram by what goes on in Saudi Arabia. This is not our criterion. Our criterion is Quran and Sunnah. As understood by the early generation, the great scholars of Islam, this is our criterion. So, if there is a failure in the Islamic, in the educational system of Saudi Arabia, they have to address those issues. There are problems. As I said, the problems that I spoke about here are not problems limited to Kenya, to Nairobi. They are globalized problems that have to be tackled in each and every part of the Muslim world. So, as I said, my, my um, comment in terms of Saudi Arabia is that where they have failed, they need to correct it, they need to address it. Their systems are not perfect, they have tried, and as human beings, human efforts succeed and they fail. They make mistakes and they make correct decisions. And they are not immune from error, just as the rest of us are.